Thank you for being here this morning. It's an honor to be able to stand before you and open God's word. Um, this morning I received a text. Uh, I totally forgot Allison was going to share her testimony this morning before the message. And uh, she shared, David, yesterday was a very difficult day for me personally. Um, just struggling with my motivation and my encouragement. Uh, and then she said, just please tell Wesker Barris Church, thank you for their prayers. As you well know, we've been praying all week for the continents of the world. And yesterday we prayed for our missionaries. And she says, uh, yesterday a lady came to my house that I've been praying for for a long period of time. But she's been closed to listen to anything I need to say about the truth, about Christ. But yesterday she came up and began to talk to me and ask me questions. And so I had the opportunity of sharing the truth of Christ with her yesterday. That lady, as she heard the gospel, the beautiful message of the gospel, responded and she said, hey, you know what? I've been listening to that message on my radio for about a month now. I've been listening to that same message that you just shared with me today. We have no idea what God does with our prayers. And that's why we continue to pray, because we want to be part of all that God has for us. God is an active God. And if there's something that you can take away with what we're going to share this morning, please understand this. God is an active God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open in Psalm 67. As you heard from Pastor Ryan, Pastor Ryan uh, took this chapter as our uh, theme passage for this year. And it's been great to, to read and reread, memorize this passage of Scripture. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are, and we're going to read this passage together this morning. So if you could stand in honor of God's Word, and we're going to read together this beautiful passage. Please, let's do it with all of our voices. Don't keep anything behind. Verse 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples Let the nations Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded it its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You may be seated. Thank you this morning. As we take this passage and begin to listen to God's word, this is a very special chapter in the book of Psalms. This psalm is known as a missionary psalm, but I believe that we, as we read this passage, could find a clear call to God's mission. God desiring his people to participate in everything that he has planned, a God that is active, desiring to use a group of people willing to be obedient to him. This psalm is known as a thanksgiving psalm because of the faithfulness of God in giving his people the harvest needed to live. These people were common people. 
with the same necessity of God's intervention in order to survive just like you and me. But Psalm 67 truly is a testament of God's people focusing on one thing, God's mission. God's mission. Israel in this psalm is singing that not only will they be blessed, but that God will also focus his blessings on the Gentiles. Not only on the people of Israel, but also to all the Gentiles. Grammy Goldsworthy echoed this thought when he wrote, even the missionary focus of Psalm 67 emphasizes that God himself must act for the nations to be blessed. It is God working to bring the nations to himself. God may work through man, but the results and thus the glory are God's alone. During this week of missions focus as a church, we glorify God for what he has done in the past and what he's doing in the present. But we dream with God in all that he's going to do in the future. I believe this Psalm 67 is a group of people asking God for more. It is not enough, God, with everything that you've given us. We want more. And people this morning, may we have that same heart and passion. May in your life personally, but also as a congregation, may we ask God for more. God in his faithfulness is asking us to be part through song, through prayer, and through being part of everything that he lays out, asking him for more, leading his people to a response and focusing on what is important to him. I ask you this question this morning. Do you believe with all of your heart that God's priorities are your priorities? Now, the question may be this morning, how do I participate? How can I be involved in knowing that God is an active God and God continues to work? What, what, what can I do? What, what is God asking me? I believe this, this Psalm 67 not only is a song, not, not only is a prayer from, from a people that had been redeemed, that, that God had faithfully given what they needed, but it's also an invitation from God. An invitation from God to his people to understand that he is sovereign and that he desires to do something that we never thought possible. So the first thing that I see in this passage as we think about God's invitation to be part of everything that he has all around us is that God's desire is for us to enjoy him, to enjoy him. I love it here in verse 1. They yell out and say, may God be gracious to us and bless us. They, they knew that they needed God's blessing. And then it continues and says, make your face, God, shine upon us. This is incredible because we see here that the psalmist takes what we find in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, where God tells Aaron, to go before any person that would provide a sacrifice before God and say these words. This, this was a blessing from God. And it's interesting that we find these same words in different passages in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 31, verse 16, for example. Psalm 80, verse 3, verse 7, verse 19. Psalm 119, 135. Over and over again, a people that understands that we need His mercy. We need his grace and we need his blessing. Asking that his face 
shine upon us. Many of the old Jewish rabbis commenting on this portion of Psalm 67 have come to the conclusion that when we see here God's face, it's speaking directly about the Messiah. That's why Charles Simeon interprets the prayer of Psalm 67:1 to be for the advent of the Messiah to his people and his manifestation to all the world. You see, God's face would shine on his people in and through the person of Christ, who is the brightest of his glory and the expression and image of his person. Shine your face upon us speaks of divine favor. God desired to raise up a nation of priests that would, first of all, enjoy his presence, would enjoy everything that he offered, everything that he gave them, and then use his presence with them to make known his way. That's why in verse 2 we see that as they uh, raised up their praises to God, they say, God, allow us to be participants of making your way known. It's not our way, it's not my way, it's not a way, it's the only way. And the reality is when we look in the New Testament, we find that the first believers in the first century, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, six times in the book of Acts, we find that the followers of Christ were known as followers of the way. The question this morning is, do people around me see it clearly that I am a follower of the way? You see, it was Jacob that said in Genesis 32, verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It was Moses that said in Exodus 33, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. We need the blessing of God. We need the favor of God. And that's why we wake up every morning asking God. We look up and say, Lord, we need you. We need you. When we truly enjoy God, we will not hesitate recommending God to others. A little girl was sitting with her mom in a church, and the church had stained glass windows like the one you see here on the screens. A little girl looks up and says, Mommy, who are those people? And so the, little, the, the, the mom responds the, to the question and says, those are saints. And so the little girl responded and said, oh, now I know what a saint is. A saint is someone who allows the light to shine through. Do you recommend Christ to others? Oh, we, we love recommending things to others. Uh, we recommend restaurants that we visit, right? Oh. We can talk about our favorite restaurants all day. I mean, the destinations that we go, right? I mean, I can talk to you about Cancun all stinking day. I love it. I mean, I can tell you where you can go, the, the hotel that you can enjoy, the food. Oh, I love it. Golf courses that maybe you visit, right? Oh, you say, I love that course, man. You got to go to that course. It's unbelievable. Why does it take so long? for us to recommend Christ to others. I hope, I hope you don't become like my coach. I had a coach in high school. He was coach of our basketball team for three years. Everybody knew that he was a believer. Everybody knew that he was a deacon at a Baptist church in our town where we lived. He lived a great life. 
morally speaking, he was a great guy. I mean, we never heard a bad word come out of his mouth. I mean, he loved his wife. His wife was excellent. Wow, a great marriage. But he never, never shared the gospel to his team. And you might say, well, he, he was at a public school. And so public schools, you can't, you can't talk about Christ. I mean, that's, that's a no-no, right? I'll, I'll lose my job. Well, I can tell you the number of times that we were sitting in his house eating dinner, watching film, where he easily could have got up and said, listen, guys, I, I need to share this with you. I need to recommend this to you. But he never did. After high school, I came to Christ at the age of 18, went to Bible school in Argentina, went back to California, and I walked into a supermarket, and you know who I saw in that supermarket? My coach. And I walked up to him. I said, Coach, how you doing? He looked at me and said, Dave, what's up, man? What are, you, what are you doing? And I looked at him, and I said, Coach, I'm studying the Bible. His jaw about dropped to the floor. What? So yeah, I'm studying the Bible, and you know what? I'm praying to become a missionary one day. I don't know where God wants to take me, but I want to be a missionary. He was in awe. He just looked at me, and I looked at him. I said, Coach, why didn't you tell us anything? I said, Coach, why didn't you tell us? Somebody was willing to stop five minutes and present and recommend Christ to me, but you, you were with us for three years, and you didn't say anything. I said, Coach, can you imagine what God would have done? Maybe we were going to get in the messes that we got into. That day was rough. Remember, the only thing he did was hang his head. He said, David was great seeing you. He turned around and he left. You see, if you're a follower of Christ, we must love recommending Christ to others. And this is all has to do with enjoying God, God's presence. The people weren't thinking about themselves and, and material possessions to be able to, to glorify God before the nations. No, they said, we want to show your way, God. We want to show the world that you're the only God that is real, that is true, that is faithful. And that's why it's easy to recommend them. I'm not recommending something that is false. I'm not recommending something that's going to be unfaithful, something that's not going to be true. No, to the contrary, I get to share the story of a person that was willing to take my place on that cross. We must enjoy God. I love what John Stott says. He says, it may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the church today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and work of the saving power of God. It was Paul that said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The word surpassing here in the Greek is where we get our word hyperbole from. An, an extravagant exaggeration of power. God's power is leased out through those who understand that he's placed in their hands, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way and the only way, there's no other. Do you enjoy God? The second invitation I find in this passage is that God is calling his people to express God. To express God. I love passages that we find here, verses 3 to 5, because here the, the psalmist says, hey, let the peoples praise God. 
He did not say, let only the people of Israel praise God. No, over and over again, we see all peoples, all peoples. Five times we find this in these three verses. God's desire is for the nations to praise him. Listen, we have to understand the true lostness that we have around us. There's there's 7.2 billion people in the world. And out of those 7.2 billion, 4.2 billion people are what we call unreached people groups of the world. 6,817. These are people that have uh, almost no access to the gospel. They They might have one believer in their state or two. There are people that need the gospel. And there are 199 million people, which we would have to um, put together the seven largest cities in the world to get this amount of population. 3,113 unengaged people groups in the world. These are people that have zero access or zero representation from a believer in their area. There are no church planning movements. And these people as well, through the passage that we read this morning, are called to praise God. How will they praise if no one goes? How will they praise if no one expresses who God is? You may be asking, how do I express God? Well, I believe there's three ways we can express God. There may be more, but this morning I just want to mention three. One is worship. Worship. Two is faith. Living a life of faith. And thirdly, being faithful to the call that he has given us. I love it because we see here that the call is for the nations to be glad and sing for joy, to praise with everything they have. There's only one activity that scripture associates far more than any other with glorifying God, and that is worship. At its heart, worship ascribes all glory to God alone. Our lives completely should worship God in all aspects, but worship is a distinct activity in which we set aside other tasks and set our minds and hearts fully on the Lord in order to receive his word and to respond back to him with prayer and song. We do this in private. We do it with our families, and then we do it corporately as well as we come together and worship God. But listen, many times we come to this place And we don't worship God. We desire to raise up praise to God in our own way. We have no idea what this word means. The word praise in the Hebrew is yada. It's a verb which speaks about throwing, to cast, to shout out, thanksgivings and praises. It derives directly from the gestures accompanying the act intentional physical acts of praise it's to shout out thanksgiving to god do you come like this do you do this in your home do you do this at work do you praise the way god desires you to praise the other day we went to go see a charlotte fc game it was great it's a great atmosphere the team needs some work but (laughs) it was great and you'll see a, a, a picture of a video that I took here to the left. They've got a fan section, it's called, about 300 and 400 people. Now, the whole stadium, the bottom half of Panther Stadium was full. And it was interesting. Uh, the, everyone in the fan section, they were singing and they were yelling. And, but it was, 
it, it was obvious that the rest of the stadium were just watching that fan crowd. They were just watching that fan section. So in me, I said, they have no idea. They have no idea in other countries like Argentina. The other video is from one of the well-known clubs in Argentina called Boca Junior. I'm not from Boca, I'm, I'm River Plate, but um, this was taken, this video was taken about three weeks ago. On a Sunday night, they were playing the worst team in the country. The worst team in the country. And the whole stadium, look at the whole stadium is cheering and yelling and they're, they, they've got a passion for their team. I mean, they're focused. I mean, they do this the entire game. It's not like they sit down and rest for like two quarters and then they stand up and start. No, no, it's the whole game. So you ask yourself, how should our worship be? When I saw that fan section that day, I thought about church. Church is kind of like that, right? If you got this fan club here on this platform and they're pouring their hearts out, man, they're, they've rehearsed and they're going at it, man, and they're, they're just doing it right, and we're just, mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice, yeah. Oh, glory to God, yes, hallelujah, yes. Right? Why? Why? Do you love expressing God? I do. And listen, this is not a Latino thing or Hispanic thing and because I'm white and I'm, you know, I'm from the South. No, it's not about culture, my friend. Amen. It's about who you know. And if you know the person that gave his life for you, the person that bore your sin, how will you not wake up in the morning and glorify his name? Why will you not get up and say, I want to express you, God, and I do that through worship? I do that through exalting or truly just raising his name up and allowing others to see that in me. The second thing is to live a life of faith. Oh, the greatest, one of the greatest stories of faith that we find in the Bible is Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham and he tells Abraham, I want you to leave your land and your people, and I want you to go to a place that you have no idea where you're going, but I've got a... a, a a good place prepared for you. But then he promises that from his seed, a nation would rise. And through that nation, God was going to impact the world. Now, Romans chapter 4, we see that Paul establishes with clarity that Abraham believed in his heart that God would fulfill what he promised. Paul talking about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 and 20 and how his faith was counted as righteousness through believing that God would do what he promised. He did not weaken in faith, Paul says, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. No one believed made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith and, and he gave glory to God. I love what John Murray says about th these phrases, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he has promised, he is able also to perform. He says, these are coordinate and describe the exercises or states of mind which were involved in Abraham's faith. To give glory to God is to reckon God to be what he is. And to rely upon his power and faithfulness. God this morning is speaking to all of us. And he's saying, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do with your finances? 
What are you willing to do with your gifts and your talents? What are you willing to do for me? You see, I love being around men like Mauro that are willing to give everything. Oh, we hold so tight to things that are superficial, things that won't last. They're going to burn up. But I love being with men that are passionate for Christ, that show that even my last years of life, I'm willing to give everything. That's what God is waiting. This is what God wants us to express so the nations could be drawn to him. What is God calling you to do? Listen, my, my heart breaks as I see these unreached and unengaged people groups. Did you know in the, in the 1040 window, in that window where the, the largest population of unreached people groups live, there are about 35,000 full-time missionaries that have gone there, and they're serving Christ. But there are over 2 million American workers that have left their country to go work for companies in that area. Two million. Could you imagine what God can do with your profession? With our education? With our finances? I mean, I could go and work for a company in that area of the world and get paid for it. I don't have to raise support going church to church. I can go to a place where the gospel has not gone, allowing God to use my life, using what he has given me, Showing the way to those who have not heard. But it's always a step of faith. I mean, if you want God to show you everything he has planned for you, good luck. You'll be sitting in these seats forever. No, no, God says, hey, take a step. And many of you students that are here this morning, many of you young professionals that are here this morning, God is speaking to your heart and he's saying, I want you to express me. I want your friends to know and to see what it means to take steps of faith, willing to leave everything behind. Will you do it? But lastly, here in the second point, we express God by being faithful to our call. And I love our vision statement as a church. We're called to glorify God, but to make more and better disciples. And we do that in our neighborhoods, to nations. And Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, establishing what our call is. This is our call. People, we're we called to do this. I mean, this is the, should be the highest priority in our lives. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Listen, there's an expression all over this verse. The expression of coming to faith to him, how the Holy Spirit somehow, we don't understand it, but he brings conviction of, of righteousness, of judgment, and people express taking steps of faith and belief, but also baptizing them. And this talks about people who are willing to identify themselves with, with Christ, telling the world, hey, I belong to him. I no longer belong to myself. Why? Why is it so difficult to take a step willing to express who God is for all that he's done? And then it says teaching all things. We are all teachers. And we should take God's word and teach it over and over and over again. God's disciples are to be concerned about the eternal condition of all races. 
all ethnic groups, all tongues, all tribes. We want to see fulfilled what Revelation chapter 7 already tells us will happen. We want to be part of it. We want to, we want to be moved as well, mobilized by God to see it happen. I love what William Carey said, a great missionary to India. He was complaining about the inaction of his day. And he said, multitudes sit at ease with no concern about the lost. We must not be content with praying without exercising the means for obtaining of those things we pray for. (laughs) Oh, we can pray. But when was the last time you said, God, I want to be or I'm willing to be the answer to that prayer? That's deep. How many times have I postured myself before God saying, God, I want you to use me. I am willing to do whatever you want me to do. God desires us to express him. That's the way we do it. But to finish this morning, I find a third invitation. What is it? To exalt God. I love verse 6. The people here, the psalmist writes, the earth has yielded its increase. I mean, they were celebrating because God had been faithful. Yes, God is always faithful. And and we, we see here that the psalmist confirms that God will continue to bless them. Man, I love to celebrate what God has done in West Cabarrus Church and through West Cabarrus Church in the past. And that's why we have our missions focus booklet where we can go back and read these stories of men and women just like you that were sitting where you are and they said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Read those stories. Read them to your kids. Motivate your children to to take steps of faith and be used by God, exalting God. They were giving God thanks to God, not only for their past, not only for their present. Oh, I'm thankful. We've got families right now in the process of of being led by God to, to go out to the nations. Oh, that we want more. And that's why we we know God is gonna bless us in the future. If we maintain our faithfulness to his word and the power of his spirit, we know that God will do a work that, like we'd never seen before. But then he says, and because God will bless us always, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Fear him. Friend, the fear of God, as we read scripture, in itself is not being frightened, scared, or intimidated of God. No, no, the fear of God is the recognition of my need for him. I don't know where you are this morning with your relationship with God. But God has established that there's only one way to him. And that way is called Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came. He died on a cross unjustly. But he did it because he loved us. He loved you. He bore, he carried our sin. He carried your sin. He took your place on that cross. He was the sacrifice that a perfect God demanded. Jesus lived a life that you could not live. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled God's laws. And because of it, God the Father, as he saw his son sacrificed on the cross, saw that sacrifice as perfect. But he rose again. And because he rose again, he is the only one that can give you life. Listen, you are trying to find life in your own ways. It's impossible, my friend. 
The only way you're going to find true life is through the life giver. We've been studying it through the book of John. He is the light. He is the life. He is the way. Jesus Christ establishing that the only way that I can have life is through him, but I have to come to him in fear, in a recognition that I need him. Have you done that? If you have not done that, please do that this morning. Come to him. Come to him in a healthy fear of understanding that you need him, that you need him. But if we already have come to him in this way, this fear of God should mobilize us, should propel us to a full-hearted obedience to him. Exalting and serving God means that every believer takes every aspect of his or her life as an expression of their devotion to the Lord. And like verse 7 says here in Psalm 67, we should do this with fear. Noah had fear. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says that when God warned Noah, telling him about events that had not happened yet, asking him, you have to build an ark. The passage in verse 7 says he was a man of faith because he did what God asked him to do because of his reverent fear. Jesus also obeyed with fear. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard, it says. Oh, what a, what a passage. He was heard from the Father because what? Of his reverence. The word reverence there in the Greek speaks of a healthy, godly fear. And is best illustrated as one who carries a priceless vase from one side to another. We all have been there. When we have to move a, a special object to us, something of much value, we make sure that we're grabbing firmly that object. And then we ask everyone to move and get out of the way, right? Don't leave any obstacles in front of them so they can take that object from one point to the next. Dear friend, the Bible says that God, through his grace, has given us the gospel. And we too must take it serious with fear understanding that god desires to take that message from this point to wherever he wants to take it and that's why i have nothing in my way i don't care what happens i don't care the difficulties that i have to go through i don't care because i've got the gospel and god desires for the gospel to shine, not what I have to give. God desires us to exalt him. And I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I finish with this story. Sophia Mueller was a great woman of God. She was a 
young student in New York City in the late 40s. She was walking down the street when she saw a man on a box preaching the gospel. This man was the founder of Word of Life International, Jack Wardson. She stopped, listened to this man preach the gospel, and she believed that day her life was transformed. Sophia went to Bible school. In Bible school, God pressed upon her heart for a people group in the Amazon between Venezuela and Colombia. She prayed for that people group. She says, Lord, I want to go. I know you've given me this burden. I want to go. She didn't want to go alone. She was a single missionary. And so she started to recruit other classmates. Nobody wanted to go. Nobody did. But Sophia did. She went to the jungles between Venezuela and Colombia. It's interesting that she arrived with four outfits. When she passed away, they walked into the closet. You know how many outfits they found? Four. She worked and served for 50 years in that jungle. Mauro and uh, his wife knew Sofia, worked with her. When they were in Venezuela, they would travel to the jungle and to minister and to teach. They started a Bible institute in her name, where until this day they train people teaching the Word of God. But she focused on children and specifically focused on boys because she said, these boys are going to be the pastors of all the churches that God is going to plant in the future. <laughs> you know how many churches they planted? 350. Sophia was ill, 1995. She didn't want to leave the jungle. She says, I want to die here. They said, no, come on, Sophia, you've got to come to the stage to see if we can get treated. And so she came back unwillingly, but she came back. A couple months later, she passed away. They organized a memorial for her here in the U.S. Only six people went. Three of them were missionaries. Her niece was full of bitterness and hatred. She says, what a waste of life. My aunt was in that place, in that jungle for 50 years, and look, there's only six people here. What a waste of life. Oh, a missionary with holy anger went up to her. She said, you have no idea. The hundreds of people that received Sophia when she passed away in heaven. A month later, they had a memorial service in the jungle. You know how many people showed up? 3,000. 3,000. There were people traveled a month on a canoe. They got on that river, they traveled a month to go to a memorial service for a woman who was willing to enjoy God. Oh, enjoy God. A woman who was willing to express God. And a woman who was willing to exalt God. What will you do what am I going to do? God desires great things from this church, from us. Let's go out there and let's live for his glory. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we're in awe as we read over and over again the words that come out of this book and how they're inspired by you. 
But Lord, this morning we ask for forgiveness. Because what we ask for is so short. What we ask for many times is so little. We come to you as a, as a body. But Lord, I know there's people here that don't know you personally. Lord, I pray that you work in their hearts this morning. Only you can bring salvation. Only the Spirit of God can convince. And Lord, I know there are people in this room that don't know you. I ask you, God, that they may come, just render their lives to you, that they may come with that healthy fear before you and say, God, I need you. I can't live without you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on that cross. Lord, forgive my sin. Lord, do this this morning. We gather as well as a people in thankfulness, asking you, God, to do more. Lord, we we don't want to ask for little things. We want to ask for more. Lord, we want to see a movement like we've never seen before in this place of people willing to enjoy your presence, of people that are willing to express who you are, and people who are willing to exalt you through being instruments, taking the gospel to wherever you want to take it. Bless us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and worship together this morning.